In this episode of the Explore Information Security Podcast, how to prepare for the OSCP, part two. Welcome to the Explore Information Security Podcast, where you will learn, explore, and grow your security mindset. I am your host, Timothy D. Block. And in this episode, we will be continuing our exploration of how to prepare for the OSCP, otherwise known as the Offensive Security Certified Professional. We just so happen to have a OSCP Certified Professional in the his house. That sounds bad. We just happen to have a OSCP on this podcast, Chris Madalena, Senior Security Consultant. Chris, thank you for again for joining me to discuss preparing for the OSCP. Yes, I'm happy to be back. We, we, we left with a little bit of a cliffhanger. I yeah, I was going to say, so the OSCP did not go so well. No, no. So my, my first attempt at the exam was disastrous. I was, I was a wreck at the end of it. I did not sleep for those, like, I, I was awake for like 25 hours. Uh, I thought you only got 24 hours for the test. Well, yeah, but I had to wake up to, you know, eat breakfast before the exam, Tim. So, so I was up from like 9 a.m. one morning until like 11 a.m. the next morning. <laughs> Jeez. So, so yeah, it, it was, it was not good. Um, and we, and so much of it, what, I mean, it, here's kind of the, how, how bad it was, was I was, I was so in my own head and just the, the time slide I chose just ended up just not working for me. It was, like I said, it was, uh, in the last episode, I, I thought I'd, I would get started earlier in the morning, you know, like at 10 or I think it was like nine or 10 o'clock to, to have like an earlier start, but enough so I could sleep in a little bit. And then this was, a, this was a Saturday. Uh, and then I could like get lunch, get started on the exam. And I thought, yeah, I'll be done. I, I often stay up until two o'clock in the morning. Like I can, I can push it a bit further and, uh, you know, maybe I'll take a nap, but surely by, you know, 10 o'clock the next morning or whatever it was, I'll be done. And this will be behind me. This is perfect. It, it was not, it just, the whole thing didn't work out for me. I had, I, I always keep a lot of notes, just even when I'm pen testing, I have a, I keep track of everything that I'm doing and jot down little notes to myself. I went and I slept for like 12 hours. When I woke up, I looked at my notes and there was stuff that I, I basically figured it out. Like there was like whole, like a couple of boxes in the exam that just had baffled me that I looked at my notes and was like, that's what I should have done. Like it was already obvious to me just because I, I hadn't slept well enough. I probably didn't sleep well enough the night before because I was all jazzed up and kind of stressed. Uh, so it, it got way into my own head. But once I had a, a good idea of what the exam was like, uh, I was able to, I immediately rescheduled it um, once they sent me my official, like you failed link, and I was able to reschedule. Uh, and I, I took it again two weeks later. This time I took like a lunchtime, uh, you know, exam because uh, I knew that I was going to want to prepare myself in the morning and I was going to, I needed to take a break. And I was going to sleep at night so I could get up the next morning early and finish if I wasn't done. And I told myself my hard stop was, was 12 hours at midnight. I was done uh, for, you know, for that evening. I was going to sleep at least until 6 a.m. and spend the next six hours uh, wrapping up. I was... I, I was more mentally prepared. I was ready. And I think once I hit that midnight marker, I had like 85% of the exam done. I had actually passed by that point. I had the points to pass. 
And I was so jazzed by that that I just kept going until like one or two o'clock in the morning and I finished it. So it was like night and day difference between the two, uh, between the two. And I mean, all I had done in that two weeks was kind of like, you know, regrouped a little bit. I think I did maybe a couple of like bone hub VMs or something like that to, to try to stay sharp or, you know, do a little bit more practice, but it's not, there was no transformation, no training montage between those, those two weeks. It was just all how I was feeling mentally and how I planned out the exam. It just worked out way better once I actually let myself kind of cool it and, and work on it. Because uh, even though it is the infamous 24-hour exam, uh, it's you have to remember that in the labs, some of those machines are incredible. I mean, there are some of my favorites in that lab that I, I, I it kills me we can't talk about them. <laughs> but there are machines in there that are like tw- 12 or 20 steps that you have to get through to actually complete the machine, to actually get to the flag uh, you know, at, at the end of that long road that they just can't have on the exam because you only have 24 hours. I mean, there's machines in the lab that took me several days of just like working on it a few hours a day. They can't put that in the lab uh, or they can't put that in the exam. So the lab almost gives you this weird idea of like, oh, my gosh, if I run into this in the exam, I'm screwed. Like this is going to take me so long. So you just kind of have to remember that the exam is meant to be completed in 24 hours. Really, it's probably meant to be completed in like 12 to 18 or so, because they kind of do expect you'll take a nap. You're going to go get some food here and there. They don't expect that you have like a host of people that will bring you food and help you. And <laughs> they expect you're going to need to take a break here and there. Or, or they also need to build in maybe even a little bit of uh, time for like technical difficulties. What if your Internet goes out for a moment? I mean, you can contact them in those situations and try to reschedule or, or they might be able to help you out if you lose time somehow. Uh, but for the most part, you know, they're building in time for you to be able to take a couple of breaks here and there, nothing excessive or luxurious, but take breaks in case you have a technical problem, get that set back up. So the, the exam isn't, it's not like you need to squeeze as much into every second possible because you really already have a buffer time built in. So kind of just taking it easy and, and making sure you're comfortable with everything that's in the uh, in, in the PDF and the videos. Because uh, the one thing that I hear a lot that people miss is they work through the PDF and the beginning of that PDF is can be very boring if you're familiar with it. Like, I mean, it starts getting into some of the basics of Linux and basic commands like awk and, and grep and how to use them. It, there's a whole section on like netcat and how to use it. Uh, and some of it's it's boring if you know it, but I this is what I did, and I encourage other people to do it too. Is is I I kind of forced myself just to do it. like I'm going to work through this. I'm going to do the exercises. I'm going to like do the homework at the end of each section, and this is just what we're going to do because I want to make sure I, I learn everything. And there was stuff I picked up to those sections, like weird little tricks, like a flag for this tool or things like that that I didn't know before that came in handy in the lab and the exam, and. Not only that, watching the videos is important, too. I also know people who just go through the PDF. They don't watch the videos because they can't skim the video and get all the content. They don't want to spend the time watching it. Or they figure, I read the chapter. Why am I going to watch the videos to go with the chapter? He just walks through it. But Mutz doesn't just walk through the chapter. He's kind of he's stepping through those pieces and covering that content. But he's doing it 
with his own commentary. And there are videos that at least when I when I went through the lab, I believe it has gone through some updates since then. But I remember there was videos where I after working on a machine somewhere in the lab, like for several nights, like, man, I keep going back to this. I can't get it. This is so weird. This should be working, but it's not. So I must be doing something wrong. Hitting a video where just hearing him say, now, if you'll see, you know, uh, lab machine 250, you'll notice that this tool doesn't work. And it's like, because you need to set this flag or you need to change this option and or look, a shell. And it's like, oh, wow. It just, it's stuff you wouldn't have just known to do. You wouldn't find via Googling that, you know, are, is sometimes mentioned in the videos and sometimes vice versa. Something would be in the PDF that's not in the videos. So you really need to go with both of them. And so if you go through the PDF and the videos and you're comfortable with that stuff and, and that content and you've gotten most of the lab, you're probably ready for the exam. And so like the best advice I can give you is don't go into the exam expecting the worst. Go into it feeling at least confident that you, you can do it. It might, it might not come easily. You might get stuck on something you'd, you know, you, you might overlook something because you're really focused or you get distracted uh, you know, by something else. But know that if you are able to move around the lab very easily, you've you've covered a bunch of machines, you've made really good progress, you've finished going through the PDF and the videos, and you understand all that content, you are ready for the exam, even if it doesn't feel like it. Okay, so we've 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 talked about kind of the benefits, the what the test is like, and, and you've given some recommendations on studying for the OSCP, but let's kind of take this back and like what, I guess, what is what are the steps that you feel are necessary to take this exam? Yeah, that, that's, that is a very good question. I know that, you know, actually when we were having like a Twitter exchange uh, that kind of this, you know, this topic for the podcast came up. And what brought about these episodes, uh, there were uh, some mentions, some some links uh, to other people's opinions and guides on preparing for the OSCP, and and I think everyone kind of has their own, you know, own what worked for them. Uh, you know, well, of course, seemed like the best option because that's what they did and it worked. Uh, so this is obviously my opinion, but uh, you know, we, I commented in in the previous episode that uh, you know the exam does do things like. Uh, limit your use of Metasploit. Um, and some people take that to me, they hear about that in advance and they go, I'm not using Metasploit ever because I'm not going to get caught, you know, using Metasploit and then, you know, realize that I can't use it on the exam and not be able to do something. So I'm going to do it right the first time uh, you know, in the lab and I'm not going to, I'm going to abstain from using Metasploit. And actually that's kind of a mistake uh, because if you've never used Metasploit before, and I mean like really used it, I don't mean you fired it up, set up a multi-handler or, uh, you know, to like listen for some exploit you were screwing around with or uh, you ran some modules. I mean like you've used the workspaces, have you used the, the, the database options uh, to kind of manage your work, like you're working a pen test. Because that's it's really what they're doing. They even tell you this in the PDF, like you are hired by us to come and do a pen test of our network. So come in here and pen test this lab network. So approach it that way. Like you can use Metasploit, set up workspaces for machines. So if you like, I'm stuck on this machine, forget this. You can switch to another workspace and work, you know, work in that, you know, and map it, get all that. And then you can switch back to the other workspaces and move around. 
Uh, it, it gives you that option to be able to use those tools and become familiar with them. And the, the, you know, the PDF even says that, you know, there's a, at least in, in the version that I had, I, I recall there being a, a little note at the beginning that's like, hey, remember, you know, Metasploit's not necessarily something we you, know, you can use in the exam, but don't, or it might have been like Got Milk's blog or, or, or another blog that I read, but there was advice I got early on that said, don't be afraid to use it in the lab because you are limited to like your 30, 60, 90 days in the lab. So don't, you know, hobble yourself. Don't slow yourself down when you could get through a machine very quickly. Uh, don't slow yourself down artificially just because you don't want to use Metasploit. Um, but make sure you understand what it's doing. Don't just run the module and then be like, cool, I got a shell. All right, I guess I'm done with that. Move on. Um, you know, don't run just get system and cool, I'm system now. I guess I completed the challenge. Understand what it's doing. What was what was the vulnerability that was being taken advantage of? How does that module work? All of those are on exploitdb.com so, or, or in uh, the Metasploit GitHub. You can go and look at them. And while the Metasploit modules can be kind of hard to read sometimes with the different Metasploit stuff that's in there to make it work as a module, the core parts of the script uh, can usually be pretty easy to follow. Or, or you can look up like the CVEs uh, or find maybe the original script the module is made um, you know, based on. And sometimes there's little like write-ups at the top or something that quickly explains what the vulnerability is. So at least you understand how you got that shell and how it worked. So definitely taking the approach early on to understand the tools you're using, how they work. Uh, one of the books I read, I, I read several. I read the, um, you know, uh, Metasploit for, you know, the, the, the Metasploit book by Dave Kennedy and company, uh, I read the Nmap cookbook that goes, which is a very dull read, but is incredibly helpful of reading through what all the options in Nmap do and what they're used for and when you would use them. Uh, I mean, that's something that I, I think is is incredible for anyone that's interested in getting into the offensive side is understanding what all those options do, understand how your tools work. And that will go a really long way in the labs and the exam for you because you'll know exactly what tool to use and you'll know if it's not working or something breaks, you'll have a really good idea or at least a much better idea than you would if you were just using the tool of how to fix it or why it's not working in this situation, what option might need to be set uh, in, this, in this situation to make it work. Uh, so understanding the tools, you know, spending the time to, to look at each piece of it and kind of build up. Uh, so don't worry so much about how do I start getting shells? Worry about how the tools work and, and looking at the methodologies. Uh, the methodology being a really big one as well. Like go and look at the, uh, the you know, uh, PTES, uh, the pen testing execution standard, and, and look through those methodologies and, and what they recommend. Uh, the, the pen testing with Cali PDF does walk you through that. And so again, going back to, like I said, make sure you move, read all those chapters, work through them, do the exercises. Uh, not all of them are really all that applicable to the exam, but they're trying to teach you, you know, the the focus of this, after all, is, you know, OSEX says their mission statement kind of for the OCP is that you will come out the other side, you know, in their way, it's like they have certified that you understand perhaps, you know, how to conduct like a basic pen test. So they teach you those things like how to do some basic OSINT, like DNS record lookups and, you know, domain transfers and some things that aren't even necessarily 
something you're going to see or use a lot, but they teach you those things as a foundation and to, you know, so, so take all that in, read, read the books, read the blog posts you can find on it and, and work your way up from there. I would say is, is definitely a major thing. Uh, I mentioned Bullhub of making sure to get on there and, and work your way through, uh, you know, some of the VMs there, they, they do a really good job of, of having a nice variety of contents. And some of them are, they say right in the description, usually the really good ones have like a nice readme and they'll say like, this is like a easy VM. Uh, and it might not be easy for you. If this is something you're just getting started with, you might look at that and go, this is easy. And you're going to, you're going to spend some time with it. But over time, those will become like, really fast for you. You'll, you'll just see those vulnerabilities. You'll become used to it, especially after you work through like the OSCP lab. Uh, there's things that you'll start noticing in those easy VMs that you can spot much quicker and work through a lot faster. And then you can work your way up to the medium VMs and eventually like the harder VMs uh, and mix things up. Don't just go for the stuff that is basic web apps over and over again. And so you're going to get bored and really tired of you know, testing for SQL injection, you know, mix in like the, some of the goofier ones that are like puzzles or based on bands or cartoons, you know, things like that, that are just meant to, uh, you know, kind of be goofy or, or kind of have a storyline to them that mix in a little bit of fun. And if for that matter, cause I don't think this gets enough attention is that there is, and I really hope it's still there. So if you take the OSCP, please dig into some post exploitation in the lab because a, it's really great practice. And B, you start digging through the emails for people because they did go in and there are like Outlook, uh, you know, mailboxes you can dig through and look at emails. You can find spreadsheets. There's a whole love affair, like love triangle, like weird storyline being played out across those lab machines that I don't think a lot of people ever look at. (laughs) (laughs) So is and is this so. What I want to define right here is Vault Hub. That's like outside the labs, correct? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, this so is like extra work that you're doing to kind of prepare for the OSCP. Yeah. So so the the Vault Hub stuff was stuff I did for four to six months before I even registered, okay. or or rather probably for three months, and then I registered and I was able to get like a slot like two or three months later, and I I kept working on Vault Hub things. Okay. Yeah. And then like you also mentioned doing the CTF. So there's even like prep leading up to the to the uh to the registration period that you would mm-hmm. recommend yeah definitely uh, i mean there, there's lots of books you can read um i mean it yeah <laughs> I, I would almost say uh your homework you can, is gonna be to email me this list of books so i can add it to the show notes yeah 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 we can absolutely do that i was gonna say actually the easiest thing to do might actually be to tell people to and maybe add this to the show notes, like a link to, and well, I believe you have it on the website, our Circle City Con trainings. We, we reference a lot of those books, and at least on, yeah. I know, in one of the slides. We can so we, we, we cover this. I also give, in our Circle City Con training, I gave uh, a list of VolnHub VMs that I recommended, like, for beginners. So, so then those kind of, uh, there's, like, Chiatrix, I think, is the one, and then a D-ICE, like, D-E-I-C-E. Uh, those are two that... There's different different VMs with that name, like Chiatrix 1, 2, and 3, uh, as well as DICE. I believe both of them have multiple versions 
And each one kind of builds on the, some of them build on each other. One, you know, some of them say like, this one is the SQL injection one, you know, or this is whatever. So it kind of tells you like a big hint, like this is this vulnerability. And so you can go into it and you have to figure out where it is, what you're supposed to be attacking, and then find that vulnerability. Uh, so I, I, I have some rec- you know, recommendations in those slides as well. And we can maybe just like put that list in the, in the show notes or uh, a link to the, that, um, that article because actually I, I would say that one of the or that uh presentation i mean because i would say that actually your homework for getting ready for the oscp is probably to set up a home lab mm-hmm. uh and especially if you're going to be doing these vms you'll want to kind of have like an attacking vm set up and uh if also if you're if you're curious i, I would say i did just recently do a write-up on how to create a, a custom like ctf uh, or like pen testing, kind of a uh, you know Debian VM uh, that is, is set up like how I like it, rather than having to use Kali, uh, you know, fully configured with a couple of like tips and tricks I've pulled from like Black Hill Security and and other blogs and things like that of how to do everything from you know get the VM up and running through uh, like installing Firefox and making it quieter. Uh, which you, know, you, you might even be interested in, Tim, if you if you haven't seen that for like your 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 application testing of how to make Firefox uh, Firefox stop trying to you know fill up your burp proxy full of like nonsense of trying to check to see if you're behind a a portal and other junk. Mm-hmm. So I, I do I do have that on my on my website as well that we can throw in the show notes if if anyone's curious to set up their own VM for for getting that lab started. Uh, because one that I, I'm, I'm sure we mentioned in the training, but um, at the time, the second one might not have been out. Um, or is it the third one now? Uh, Rapid7 puts out uh, meant as kind of like Metasploit training slash like showcase is they just have a VM called Metasploitable. Uh, and there's either Metasploitable 2 or 3 that's out right now that just got released like earlier, or like late last year, earlier this year. I can't remember. It wasn't that long ago, and it's just a VM that is riddled with vulnerabilities. It has like umpteen thousand ports open, and they're all vulnerable services, and it's it's hot garbage, and it's just there so you can <laughs> you can just go at it with Metasploit and attack. There's like a module for every port, or it's kind of crazy. But the nice thing is, and I, I encourage everyone to check it out uh, because yeah, you can use the Metasploit module, much like the lab. You can use the module and just walk right in with it, or you can go out and do a little bit of research, uh, you know, run the module, hey, look, it works, and then take a step back and do it manually. Uh, go and find like the original script it's based on, or go find the standalone Python script that someone made from the module. Uh, or if you're feeling uh, you know, a little bit you know, confident uh, and, and you really want to get into it, you could try to kind of reverse engineer the module to make it a standalone script. That's really great practice to to get yourself in the right mindset. Right. So one thing I think we failed to mention, did you have to write a report at the end of the test? Oh, yes. I think so, we skipped over that. That's probably a big it, part yeah, of didn't it. Really, didn't really talk about it. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of mentioned that they they anticipate that you will come out of this, you know, as the certification says, a certified professional. Um, that you know, their 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 promise is kind of like, hey, like if we give someone an OSCP, this is our, you know, we are confident this person can conduct a basic pen test, and that includes writing a good report. So at the end of your exam, 
And actually, even at the end of the lab, you have the option of writing up your lab experience as well for potentially extra points. They're very ambiguous about that. Uh, you know, they won't tell In fact, at the end, you don't know how many points you got. You'll never find out it's a pass or fail. There is a point system behind all of it. It's kind of worth throwing that out there. Um, so you know, there's always talk. You'll hear people mention like, oh, I, I know when I pass because I got this many points or whatever. Uh, but they'll deduct points. They'll give you extra points. Like they can do whatever they want. So it comes down to you just get a pass or fail email. Uh, but a big, big, big part of your grade is your report. Uh, and because that report, basically, if if you don't write it down in your exam report, it's like you never did it. So they don't care. You know, they're, they're not going to go and look at PCAPs of, uh, I assume not. I, you know what? I have no idea. But I'm going to say they're not going. They're not going to go and look at PCAPs. They're not monitoring your lab environment or your exam environment to see if you did something, right? They're not. They don't care. They want you to see you write out how you did it with your screenshots and your evidence and everything nicely formatted, a and a good concise technical analysis of how you pulled it off uh, and why it worked, like what vulnerability was being exploited, you know, what, how did you do it? Did you use, you know, uh, you know, what scripts, uh, you know, putting appendices for your scripts, et cetera. It's really up to you. They'll give you like a, uh, a decent enough like report template that you can start with, uh, to kind of get an idea of what they want. And then it's up to you to write a front to back report of like everything from an executive summary, like an introduction to what it is you're doing. You're kind of writing it like you're going into a pen test. So you're saying like, I, you know, Chris was hired for, you know, by offensive security to, to do this pen test. And this was the scope of the pen test. And, um, you know, these are the IPs I was going after. And you know, here it's up to you to how you write that report and how you format everything. Uh, and so so you definitely want to, you know, going back to like what I said, understand those vulnerabilities, understand how things work, understand how your tools work. Because if you've done all that prep work, explaining how you used a tool to exploit, you know, a vulnerability you found is going to be easy because you actually understand it. it. It won't be any problem at all for you to put into written word what you already know in your head of like how that tool worked, what the vulnerability was you were going after and, you know, how you got from A to Z. Is that is that, is that a training that they do as well? Like they show you how to write a, write a report or is that kind of left up to you? That's kind of left up to you. Um, and I mean, in, in some cases that, that could maybe even be the hardest part of the exam for you, depending on, on how comfortable you are with like technical writing. Right. Okay. So what would you like to plug? Uh, I mean, you can, uh, if anyone has any questions, uh, you know, definitely send them over to, to Tim. Uh, but if you, you know, have questions for me, I, I've, I have written novels on, you know, trying to help people who have gotten stuck on the OCP. I, I do think it's, it's really awesome. I don't know if anything I've said in the last hour, uh, you know, like of, of episode time is, has done any of it justice, uh, or, <laughs> but, uh, I, I think it is definitely worth your time. So if you, if you have questions, like you feel free to reach me, I reread out to me on Twitter. I'm just at C Madalena, C M A D D A L E N A. Uh, I I don't have open DMs right now, just because I don't think I've ever bothered to go in and turn them on. But you know, just hit me up with like an at reply, and you know, we can DM or uh, you know, or you know, I'll get you my email address or something like that, and we and we, we can chat if you have questions about the OSCP or the OSCE or anything like that. So, you know, happy to to help if I can. 
Uh, I also have, you know, some, you know, I'll, I'll just, you know, they're decent resources. I'm a little bit biased, but I, I think they're, they're helpful <laughs> that I've, I've written up like things that helped me from the OSCP, not necessarily labeled as the OSCP, uh, but just things that I learned during there that I wrote like blog posts about, uh, that are just on my website, which is just chrismadalena.com. Uh, and I mean, really that's, that's about it. I would say that, you know, if, if anyone has any questions or, or follow up, uh, you know, reach out to Tim and. Tim can get a hold of me or, you know, get, you know, reach out to me on Twitter or something like that. And, and, and we can chat. Cool. Well, thank you for joining me to discuss how to study for the OSCP. Thanks for having me on again. That will do it. Hopefully you learned something. Feedback is welcome at timothy.dblock at gmail.com or on Twitter at Timothy Dblock. Show notes can be found at timothydblock.com forward slash E-I-S. If you enjoyed the show, share it with others and rate it on iTunes. Have a good one.